I would like to now call on our next speaker, and that is Paul Milton. He is the Distinguished Professor at Massey University in New Zealand and the Director of the Redet Institution. He will share with us outcomes of the Asia study. Paul, we look forward to your remarks. Thank you very much, Rajul, and um, thank you to IFPRI for the invitation to be here and address today's audience. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the future poses a great challenge for the Asian region if it's going to sustainably feed a rapidly growing and in many countries a rapidly aging population. Both under and over nutrition will be challenges, they are challenges, and there's many factors that influence food and nutritional security, but we found in our report that really science and technology is going to need to take centre stage and there's going to really need to be strong science leadership if we're to progress. Food and nutritional security is more than simply providing calories, and I'm going to come back um, to that in a moment with a couple of examples. And as others have said, food wastage is every bit as important as food supply. And we need to hear, I think particularly, need to look to our food technologists and our food engineers, where there's already a lot of technology we could make use of to really drastically cut down on food wastage. That's a very important point, obviously. Um, in our report, we identified a number of countries which we call high-risk or hotspot countries, which combine both very rapid population growth in the future and already have high IFPRI global um, hunger indices. So these are very vulnerable countries. And we suggest they um, act as a, a rational starting point to see where research may be most effective. Because a lot of these reports you read, and a lot of findings say, look, we need to do genetic work, we need to do this, we need to do that. Often when you go into the region, into the countries, and you actually look at the problems, you may be surprised just what the impediment may be. And it may not always be a technical impediment. So we, 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 we really need to look at these high-risk countries, learn from them, and um, use the systems analysis approach to identify what are the key impediments, what are the key technical impediments, and from that, develop a blueprint for education, research, and extension in Asia. And I think that would be a wonderful thing to do, and it would save billions and billions of dollars, and it will ensure the dollars are put into the work that's actually required. Um, I said I'd come back and talk a little bit about um, this provision of balanced nutrients, not just calories, because this is a point that resonated very strongly in our Asian re report. Meeting calories is crucial, but it's not sufficient. We need to have diets that meet the daily requirements of all of the essential nutrients. And many Asian diets meet the calories, but they fall short of other nutrients. And I give an example here of um, a, 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 a typical ch child's uh, meal in India where the calorie provisions met, but in this particular case, vitamin A and iodine are fairly de 
deficient, and there's many, many other examples like this. So we've got to get away with just thinking about calories. In fact, there's also a, a lot of other dietary components that are not nutrients, but they also underpin health. So I think we've got to get away from just thinking about calories, just thinking about nutrients, and thinking about holistic foods and holistic diets. Things like um, phytochemicals, natural probiotics, bioactive peptides. They're not nutrients, but they're very, very important constituents of diets for a healthy diet. So we need to define just what is a healthy diet, and that they'll be culturally and socially um, and economically specific as well. Um, diversity of foods and food types alone is not the answer. You often hear people say, ah, make it a diverse diet. Well, I point you to this paper that's just been published by the um, science advisor from the American Heart Association, which shows very, very clearly that diversity per se is not the answer. There's more to it than that. And I um, draw your attention to another paper published recently by myself in the Journal of the Science of Food and Agriculture talking about holistic properties of food. If you look at a food like cheese, the overall nutrient contents should be very bad for you. But if you look at all the epidemiological studies, it always comes out with a certain amount of cheese in the diet, that cheeses are, certain types of cheese are very, very healthy foods. And it's because of their holistic properties. The structures of foods, GI, for example, glycemic index, extremely important for a healthy diet. It's got nothing to do with nutrients, it's got to do with structure. So we need to understand all of these things. Um, I believe that the definition and description of a healthy diet is a very complex issue. Sounds simple, but it's deceptively complex, and it needs to be a central research focus going forward. As of today, none of us really know just what is exactly is a healthy diet. And I'll just point you to the recent um, Eat Lancet diet uh, publication, which was an attempt by Medicos to come in and say, well, here's a healthy diet, and look at the debate that's ensued. Just go on the web. There's thousands of reports coming back saying that flippin' diet is deficient in all these uh, key nutrients, it's not sustainable, it's not affordable, uh, it's not socially acceptable, it's religiously abhorrent to certain sectors of society, so hey, it's just, it's not that simple, and we need to think more, more um, clearly about it. Um, also, the report emphasised that food and nutritional science should be, uh, sustainability should be based on scientific evidence and not anecdote. And we gave many, many examples. Here's one I'll turn to in a moment. But so often, the arguments are based on anecdotal observations that become entrenched in people's minds and even come out in official reports. And here's an example um, here just on, on, on protein supply and protein quality, just as one simple example of where thinking was based on common perception rather than scientific evidence, in fact. Um, in this diagram, the purple line going across is the average daily protein requirement. For a whole lot of, lot of countries and territories, you have the amount of protein supplied in green by plant and red by animal protein. And the conclusion drawn, very simplistically, that most countries are getting more protein um, than they need and they're actually eating large excesses of, of animal protein. Common belief, most people sort of believe that. But if you take into account that plant protein has actually got a biological utilizability of only about 50 to 60 percent. Halve the green graph and drop it down, you see many of those countries are actually in problem in, in terms of supply of amino acids and protein. 
and you get a very, very different answer. So let's use science, let's have our work be evidence-based rather than based on anecdotes that have become entrenched in, in, the, in the common thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have two and a half minutes left, so I'll go now to our bottom line take-home messages. The report's got 31 recommendations for the Asia region. They're all very, very important, and I'd urge you please to read the report. Um, but there's some overarching recommendations that focus around um, science and technology. And the first is that Asia, we think, really needs a transnational funding mechanism for, for food and nutritional security work um, that will be similar to what is already set up um, in Europe. And that would allow and foster cooperative, interdisciplinary research to resolve common problems. And Cheryl made the good point, we found the same. When we looked across this vast region of the world, there was a lot of commonality. And if we can come together and work as a unit to look at a lot of these common problems, I think we can make some real progress. And, you know, really, really, there's an urgent need to reinvigorate agri-food research. We need to go back to what was the leadership of the 1960s, was the Green Revolution. What's looming is, is big and, and it's going to be, be very, very significant. We need to act now to, to, to look at that and we need to work together. Um, coming back to, to the example I gave about anecdote, we need to really, um, there needs to be public dissemination of factual, scientifically informed information regarding food and nutritional security, and particularly the role of biotech in providing safe, sustainable and healthy diets. We need to define things clearly, we need to communicate as scientists very, very clearly, and we need to have those discussions in society, because we're going to need some of those tools. But we need to take the world with us, not against us. And um, we feel also that it's quite urgent to set up cross within Asia, cross-nation, interdisciplinary centres of research um, and educational excellence, and they really need to be formed now, not in 10, 20 years' time. Um, we need that lag period to do the research that's going to be required, and they need to really focus on those defined issues that I started my talk with. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave you with a quote from our report. Increasing pressures from population growth urbanisation, land availability, resource and water availability, pollution, global climate change and loss of biodiversity conspire to make food and nutrition security a formidable near-term challenge for Asia. Science does offer solutions, but plans need to be made now and they need to be enacted boldly and decisively if, if catastrophe and great suffering are to be avoided. So I think the solutions in our, are in our hands, and I really laud it free for what it does in, in this area, but there's urgency, and if we don't act, there are going to be real issues. Thank you very much.